Well, good morning, Placerita Bible Church. It's a wonderful privilege to join you this morning and to be a part of a church that uh, has had a relationship. ABWE and Placerita Bible Church have had a relationship for many, many years. How many years, Bob, has Placerita supported you personally? So for, for 56 years, this church has supported you in ministry. And can I just tell you, church, that has been a great investment in your dollars. Uh, Bob, just very quickly, how many churches were you involved in planting in Columbia that directly and then daughter churches that were planted from those churches that you planted? 26 churches in Columbia. And your ministry has been spent not just in Colombia, but in other South American countries as well. And so when you think about your relationship with ABWE and you think about your relationship with missionary Bob Trout and his family, just realize that Placerita had a part, besides everything else that you're doing, in planting 26 churches. There are believers gathering in places that you know not of, worshiping the same Lord and the same Savior because of your investment in just one missionary. Not to mention what you're doing through Peter and Heather Malachar in, in New Delhi as they plant churches and disciple young men and women. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife and I spent 30 years in ministry, and the first time we visited Peter and Heather Malachar, your missionaries in India, uh, I wanted to do a ministry do-over. I had seen how he was pouring into uh, 10 young men and discipling 10 young men, and uh, I had spent my career trying to, trying to build a local church, and, and Peter was investing in these 10 young men, and those 10 young men were joining together. They were going to plant five churches between them. They were going to pair up and plant five churches. And I'm thinking to myself, I was working with one church, and this guy decided they're going to plant five churches. And I was just like, what did I do wrong? What did... A great investment. ABWE is a mission-sending organization, but can I just say from the outgo, we send zero missionaries. The local church sends missionaries. See, the Great Commission has been given to the local church as a command to send missionaries to all the nations. ABWE, our role is to help you do that well. We get to partner with you. We come underneath you and we serve you and support your missionaries so that they can go into all the world and do that very, very well. And so we support through dozens of services and dozens of, with training and with financial support and getting, uh, helping with uh, fundraising and development and, and uh, helping missionaries do uh, the, the hard work that they need to do in the states to build a team so that they can launch to the nations. And it's our delight to work with uh, Placerita Bible Church. Uh, before I get into the message, would you like to hear some good news? Just, just like good news? Okay, good. We have had, uh, ABWE's had missionaries in Ukraine for about 25 years and uh, helping uh, Ukrainians, largely training Ukrainian pastors to, uh, to be able to reach uh, Ukraine as well as Central Asia. 
uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the war broke out recently, our missionaries had to come out. And, and essentially, our missionaries were refugees. You heard in the news of all the refugees coming out. Well, our missionaries had to leave just like the refugees did. And, and so many of them just took a backpack and uh, packed everything they could in the backpack in the car and, and took off for the border. And they began a ministry of serving refugees. And, uh, and they were serving and they said, hey, we need to have a, a fund to help the, the Ukrainian churches. And uh, because, of, because of our commitment to the local church, we wanted to not bring any funds or refugee relief from the United States. It feels very impersonal, but to work through local churches. And so we were working through uh, Baptist and Bible churches there in Ukraine to be able to serve the refugees, supporting them. And we started a fund and we thought, you know what, we'll raise a couple hundred thousand dollars and to be able to support them and help those refugees. And God's people gave $1.6 million dollars that we have been able and are continuing to funnel through the local church in Ukraine to support refugees and to, uh, to, to help families. And I called one of our missionaries who's responsible for the fund, and, and I thought I'd be a good president and kind of commiserate because they've been working hard and they themselves have been working as refugees. And, and so I was, I was doing kind of the, man, I know it's, it must be so hard, buddy, you know, just keep going, you know, and... And, uh, and I was like, I know it's a, it's a lot of trouble and, and things, but, you know, God is good. And, and, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of doing this. And, and he was like, stop, stop, stop. He's like, trouble nothing. He said, we've seen the gospel work more powerfully in lives in the last two months than I've seen in 25 years of ministry. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And even in the midst of a war, God can get glory, can he? And he works even in the midst of hardship to uh, redeem a people for himself. And so I'd ask that you would pray for those missionaries. They, uh, they are serving uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place that's difficult right now. And our missionaries in, in Hungary and Romania, your missionary, Kim Guest, has been uh, a missionary, and she's been helping with that team, a part of those teams. They've moved out of Ukraine into Romania and Hungary and, uh, and Poland and the countries there that the, the refugees are going to. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I don't know if you realize this, but we've been in a pandemic And not just a physical, medical pandemic, but one of the things that uh, I've noticed over 30 years of ministry is there is a spiritual pandemic going on as well. The symptoms show up at different times in people's lives, but they often look like this, a 16-year-old who's constantly being asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? And symptoms show up. I start feeling, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Shows up again at 22, graduating from college. What are you going to do now that you graduate from college? And there's this symptom, this, this angst that shows up. 
shows up in the, uh, the 30-year-old who's jumped right into a career, maybe after high school, after college, they jump, and, and they're about eight or 10 years into their career, and they find that their career is not all that it was cracked up to be. Their hopes and dreams and finding fulfillment and, and purpose and mission in their life through a career is unsatisfying. It shows up in the 45-year-old mother who's been living for her children for the last 20 years, and her children are beginning to launch from the home, and, and she begins thinking, what, what, am I, what am I here for? My kids are leaving me. Shows up in the, the empty nest couple who's launched their kids and, and now they have time on their hands and they have, they're still young enough that they have energy and enthusiasm and, and, and yet again, the symptoms start showing up. Like, what, what, do, what do I do with this? And it looks a lot like regret in the 65 and 70-year-old who thinks back, what have I done? What have I accomplished? What have I been living for? And so these symptoms show up periodically through our lives. And I want to suggest to you this morning, there is one key passage of Scripture that if you misunderstand or misapply this key passage of Scripture to your life, these symptoms will show up all throughout your life. Spiritual lethargy, spiritual malaise, a sense, a lack of, of purpose, a lack of mission, a lack of hope, a sense of dread, a sense of, of, of worry, a sense of what, what have I done, regret. And the passage, I don't, it may or may not surprise you, is the Great Commission. And I want to look at this passage this morning because there's a question. When you're dealing with the Great Commission, there's a question that every single person has to deal with. And that's this. Is the Great Commission a volunteer opportunity that Jesus wants you to sign up for? Or, it is a, or is it a command of your Lord and Savior that must be obeyed? I think sometimes, and Pastor, I, I've been guilty of this. I think sometimes in our zeal for missions trips, and, and some, sometimes we as churches, we, we treat the Great Commission like a volunteer opportunity because we walk around with a clipboard to sign up for the missions trip. And hey, do you want to sign up for the missions trip? It's a, a volunteer opportunity. Don't confuse a missions trip with the Great Commission. And what ends up happening is, is in our zeal to do some mission-related things and to do programming in the church, somehow we, we've accidentally taught this view of the Great Commission that the Great Commission is a volunteer opportunity. It looks like a mission trip this month. Next month it's going to look like a ladies' missionary fellowship and, and all kinds of ways to volunteer to do missions. And we're missing the bigger picture of the Great Commission. 
Because if you view the Great Commission as a volunteer opportunity, that's going to have huge ramifications for how you live your life. On the other hand, if you view the Great Commission as a command of your Lord and Savior, that will have huge implications in your life. So let's take a fresh look at the Great Commission. And I want to start, uh, we're, going to, we're going to start reading in verse 16. Uh, but as, as we, before we start reading, let's, let's set the historical context. The Great Commission is coming at us after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's important as you even think and just level set on the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not one of Jesus' teaching that he's walking around Galilee teaching uh, large crowds of people uh, truth about the kingdom of God, that's not when Jesus is giving the Great Commission. Jesus is giving the Great Commission after he has died on the cross, after he has atoned for your sins, after he has raised from the dead and proven himself victorious over death. He is not the meek and lowly carpenter from Nazareth anymore. He is the risen Savior and Lord. This is important for us because as Jesus delivers the Great Commission, he's not delivering it to a group of disciples who just think Jesus is this lowly carpenter. As a matter of fact, his disciples, some of them are even confused. Let's look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, this is after uh, the, the resurrection, uh, to a mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So apparently, Jesus, as he's appearing to his disciples, he tells his disciples, I want you to meet me in Galilee to a mountain that I, I've told you. And so the, the disciples are gathering there. And when they saw him, so Jesus appears to them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This little section of verse right here gives me incredible hope when we're talking about the Great Commission. Let, let me tell you why. Because whatever Jesus says next in this passage, he's delivering it to a group of disciples, some of which figured it out very quickly who Jesus is and what he was doing. And I'm sure the teachings of Jesus, this, this temple is going to be destroyed in three days, it will rise up again. And some of the disciples who are worshiping Jesus, they see him and all of the pieces of everything that they've learned over the last three years are falling into place and they just, they fall down on their feet and they worship him. But some of the disciples were told, as soon as they see Jesus, they, they did what class? Some worshiped him, but some what? Doubted. Some of the disciples didn't have it figured out yet. So what Jesus says next in the Great Commission is for disciples who have it figured out and also disciples who don't have it figured out yet. That gives me hope because there's a lot of times in life, I just have to step into an obedient position regardless of whether it makes sense to me or not. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever just had to say, I'm going to obey regardless of whether or not I don't see, I don't see how it's working out, I don't understand the situation, but I'm just going to be obedient and I'm just going to be faithful. 
I remember a significant change in ministry that uh, a church that I was working at was going through and, and, uh, and, and there was leadership turnover and, and there's all kinds of things going on and my wife and I were praying and we were thinking, you know, what, what is our role? What are we to do? And, and we just said, you know what, we, we don't know what we should do. We're just going to be faithful. We're just going to step into faithfulness and just be faithful to what God's called and we're just going to let the things and pieces fall where they will. And it's interesting to me that Jesus gives the great commission to both sets of disciples, those that are doubting and those who are worshiping. And so Jesus begins the great commission and he says in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, this is an interesting way to start the Great Commission. And it's often a part that we, uh, we leave off the Great Commission. Uh, we, we start with the Great Commission because we've got this wonderful active word in, in the first sentence in, in verse 19, go. Um, uh, generally, when we're thinking about the Great Commission, we're just like, let's just get to the active part. Let's just get to the, let's just get to the go part. But there's a preamble to the go part, which is an authority part. And I think this is a critical piece for us to understand. Because what Jesus does is Jesus reveals to his disciples, some that are doubting, some that, are, that have figured it out and are worshiping, he declares to his disciples that all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Again, no longer the meek and lowly carpenter. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is important for anything that Jesus says after this comes with all of the weight and the authority of not just a, a leader on this earth, not just a, 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 a traveling preacher with a, a ragtag band of disciples following him. No, this is... The King of Kings and the Lord, this is the one who holds the stars in his hands. This is the, the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This statement, all authority has been given to Jesus, is critically important for organizations like myself that I work in. Because there are places where um, we might go, I can neither confirm nor deny, we would send missionaries to countries where it's illegal to proselytize. There are countries on this planet where it is illegal for a Christian to talk to one of their citizens for the purpose of converting them to Christianity. And I can neither confirm nor deny we have many missionaries in those places. This passage here gives us the authority to do that. Because remember, we've got New Testament passages that tell us to obey those in authority, that God has appointed earthly authority and we're to obey earthly authority, right? Right? We're to do it. So how do you balance, how does a, how does a missionary balance obeying the authorities over them, but also proselytizing. This verse right here gives us the authority. Because all authority 
has been given to Jesus Christ. And there has been earthly authority delegated, yes, but the ultimate authority, the universal authority, the kingdom authority belongs to Jesus Christ and him exclusively. So whatever Jesus tells us to do is a non-negotiable. And so we can go into all the world and proclaim the gospel if the king of kings has commanded us to. Now, if it's a volunteer opportunity, now that's going to cause ethical problems. But if we've been commanded, we must obey. So, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so, Jesus clearly declares his authority to determine what comes next in the disciples' lives. The disciples have, had just experienced the most brutal week of their lives. Can you imagine following Jesus for three years and thinking of how power, watching him walk on water, watching him heal lepers, watching him feed 5,000, and then to see him brutally beaten, beaten by Roman soldiers, a crown of thorn put on his heads, whipped 39 times till his flesh is literally falling off of his body, nails in his hands and his feet. Jesus physically was brutalized. These disciples have seen this. And now Jesus declares to them, I have all authority as he, as he rises from the dead and shows his power. And he, he declares his authority to determine what next. What, after all that we've seen as a disciple, what comes next? And who gets to say what well, King Jesus does? When my daughter, one of my daughters was a teenager, I, I remember her coming to me one afternoon and saying to me, uh, Dad, um, she was about 12 or 13 years old, and she said, Dad, uh, we're, we're getting together with our friends tonight, and, and I'll be home about 11 o'clock. And it was a school night, and I said, 10 o'clock sounds great. And uh, we'll have you home by 10 o'clock, and then you'll, you'll, it's, it's a late night, but we'll, we'll make it work. And she's like, no, Dad, it, it needs to be 11 o'clock. And I said, honey, it's, it's going to be 10 o'clock. And, and she said, Dad, 11 o'clock. Nothing fun happens till after 10 o'clock. All of the fun happens between 10 and 11 o'clock. I need to be there. From, and we had an argument is what we had, okay? It went back and forth. And then I finally did something. I... I pulled the, the dad card and I said, honey, I'm your father. You'll be home at 10 o'clock. And it's interesting to me because as we begin the Great Commission, Jesus pulls the I have all authority in heaven and earth card. And so if we have any questions as to what's coming next for us, Jesus says, hey, I'm your, I'm your father. I'm your father. And then he goes on to say this incredible great commission. And I want to walk through. Can we get grammatical a little bit this morning? Like three of you just fell asleep right now. Just We're, we're going to get a little bit grammatical here this morning because... Um, 
Again, I think it's critical for us to understand exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples. And so we're going to walk through the Great Commission. Every sentence, the, the action of the sentence is found in the verb, right? And so the main verb of the Great Commission is what class? Wait a minute. Are we confused about that? Some of us said go, some of us said disciples, some of us said make disciples. The main verb in the Great Commission is make disciples, okay? So if you have, if you have a Bible, I have the, I have the word make disciples um, double underlined. How many of you diagram sentences when you were in school? I don't, I don't even think we do that anymore. But I put two lines underneath make disciples there just so I know that's the, that's the main verb. So this is the action of the Great Commission. The action of the Great Commission is to make disciples. If you simplified the Great Commission to just its one action step, you could state the Great Commission very, very simply as make disciples. What does Jesus tell us is next for the disciples after the risen Christ is raised from the dead? The next step for disciples are to make disciples. To make followers of Jesus Christ. To recreate in others what Jesus has created in us. That's the simplest definition of discipleship I can, I can think of for us. To just to recreate in others what Jesus has created in us. Though, literally, a person who receives Christ as Savior this morning can become a discipler tonight. Because they can recreate in others the same conversion that took place in their heart as they share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so disciplers are those who make followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. Put themselves in the process of what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has been doing since the foundation of the earth, right? Jesus has been redeeming a people to himself from long before the earth even existed. And we, as we become obedient to the Great Commission, we put ourselves in the stream of what God is doing to redeem a people for himself. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we are told that we become his ambassadors, that God makes his appeal through us. We become part of the means through which disciples will be made. For some reason, not understood by me, for purposes known only to God for all of eternity, he has chosen to use his people to redeem his people. What an incredible opportunity. What an incredible command. That's the main, so a, a sentence has a verb and every sentence also has to have a subject, right? So you have to have a subject and a verb, right? What is the subject of the Great Commission class? What word do you see in the Great Commission that could be the subject of the sentence? Go, no. Yes, see this is why it's important to walk through Grammatically, because the subject of the sentence is a word that doesn't even show up in the sentence. Now, 
Some of you are going to fall asleep immediately as soon as I say this, but remember back to your English class, there's, there's something called an understood you. An understood you. The subject of the sentence is you. Who is to make disciples? You are. Who, who is to make a disciple? I am. And so again, if you take noun and verb, the simplest form of a sentence, if we just take the Great Commission and simplify it, it's you make disciples. Who's to make disciples? You are to make disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples, commanding them to make disciples. This verb is in what we call an imperative form. And the idea is it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a volunteer opportunity. This is, this is critical. You're going to struggle your entire life with what is your mission and what is your purpose if you think the Great Commission is just a suggestion that you could get a hold of. Because Jesus is saying, listen, as a follower of me, what comes next in your life once you put your trust in me, once you have been converted and repent and convert, what comes next for you is that you would make disciples. And then he gives the scope and the breadth, and this is the interesting part. And I think many American pastors have emasculated the Great Commission by missing the next phrase. You make disciples of who? All nations. I've heard this analogy uh, when someone talks about the Great Commission, they say, so therefore, if the Great Commission is for us, you need to, when you get home, walk across the street and talk to your neighbor about Jesus Christ. That is true. Let me, let me I'm not bashing that. But that's not what the passage says. Let's be real here. Jesus, if Jesus wanted you to only walk across the street to talk to your neighbor about him, Jesus would have said that. And I think we as the American church, again, in our zeal to, we, we take this as a volunteer opportunity, and a volunteer opportunity to do what? Something brave like walk across the street. Brothers and sisters, can I commend to you that the scripture does not say walk across the street. It says you make disciples of all nations. And either it says that or it doesn't. And I wish I could let you off the hook and say you don't have to make disciples of all nations, but you have been commanded to make disciples of all nations. So that means we, collectively as a church and individual as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we gather together and we do the, the body of Christ together and, and we do work together. But individually and collectively, we are to make disciples of all nations. Don't emasculate the Great Commission. Don't make it powerless. This has been, this is a huge command. 
that is worldwide in its scope. That no people can be left out because we know when we get to the end and we get to the book of Revelation in chapter 7, we know that every kindred, every tribe, every nation, and every tongue will be represented around the throne. of Do we not know that? And again, for whatever reason, God is commanding us to be a part of his means to do that. And so it makes me wonder if there are certain times in our life when we feel a lack of mission, a lack of purpose, a lack of direction, if it isn't because we aren't taking our proper place in God's plan for the nations. You make disciples of all nations. Now, Pastor, I'm going to get real grammatical here. There's three ways that Jesus tells us we're to do this, and he gives us three participles. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's too early for participles. If you, if you remember what a participle is from English class, um, a participle is a verb that acts like an adjective. Okay, it's a verb that adds color or definition or character to whatever it's modifying. Okay, so Jesus, again, the Great Commission simply is you make disciples of all nations. That's the Great Commission simply. But he adds three participles, and this is where people get confused because we see the word go, and it's the juiciest, most active word in the sentence. That's why we often think it's the the main verb of the sentence. But really go is just a participle modifying make disciples. And so what Jesus is saying is you make disciples of all nations and you do that by going. And the idea of going here is the idea of action or taking the initiative. Discipleship is an active process that takes effort and energy on the part of the disciple maker. Disciples, brothers and sisters, do not just happen. It takes someone to go and to initiate the discipleship process. 2 Corinthians 5.2, we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. When you think of the word go, the, the word go has has two ideas here. And the, the first one is, is initiative. In order to go somewhere, you have to take the first step. And if, we're gonna, if, if you are going to make disciples of all nations, you've got to go and take the initiative. Now, in Acts chapter 13, we have a beautiful picture of the first two missionaries that were called out of a church. The church in Antioch is gathered together and they're worshiping together and they're fasting and they're praying and the Holy Spirit tells the church to separate out for himself Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent out from that church to be the very first missionaries that, that, that travel around. And it's interesting because the entire church plays a part in sending Paul and Barnabas but only two people are actually sent from the church. And this is important 
Because the word go here doesn't mean that every single person has to leave Placerita Bible Church and go to the nations. And that's important because go while it means go. Go means take the initiative. Start the action. Don't just stand there. But everyone, I believe everyone in Acts chapter 13 that was in that church, those that were laying hands on Paul and Barnabas, those who were praying for Paul and Barnabas, those who were supporting Paul and Barnabas, we know later on that the church supported them and prayed for them and cared for them and sent them out from them. I believe every single person in that church was obeying the Great Commission that day when Paul and Barnabas went. So I'm not, I don't want to put you on a, my purpose here this morning is not to put you on a guilt trip that every one of you are to be missionaries, okay? But every one of you are to take an action step. Go means a lot of things, but it doesn't mean stay and sit. And I think one of the reasons, again, why we have a pandemic of people struggling with what is my purpose, what is my mission, why does God have me here on this earth? Why has God made me the way he has? Why has God given me the spouse that he's given me? Why has God given me the children that he's given me? And we wonder where these questions, and we, and we beg and plead with God, why did you make me this? Why? Because he wants to use you the way that he created you to reach others. The Apostle Paul said, he became like others to reach others. Well, maybe God created you with certain gifts so that you would be able to reach others with those gifts. Go means to take the initiative. The second participle is baptize. And the word baptize isn't just about getting wet. Okay? The word baptize here in this passage represents everything new in the life of a believer. Right? Baptism represents, it's, it's such a beautiful word picture. And, and as, uh, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor was to baptize. It was, uh, we, I pastored near Lake Michigan. And we would take our entire church out to the beach at Lake Michigan. And, uh, and we would take our, our baptism candidates to, to, into the lake. It was freezing cold, absolutely freezing. I'd be like, do you, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Like, yes. Okay. Um, we would take 700 people to the beach and there would be thousands of people at the beach because in the summertime in Lake Michigan, everybody goes to the beach and, 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 and there's a, all the beach and our church would gather around the water and we would be baptizing and, and there'd be people going like, what's going on? And a huge crowd would gather around our, the crowd of our church and it's like, is there a fight? What's going on? Is there a fight? And it's like, no, no, someone's getting baptized and, and, and we would do baptism and the water representing in, in a believer's life sins being washed away, representing the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, representing the, the, the death of the individual person to an old way of living and being raised to a new way of living, putting off the old, putting on the new, all of these beautiful pictures of newness and cleansing and washing. And that's what, that's baptism here. So as you make disciples, you need to take the initiative to make disciples of all nations. But you've got to, you're helping bring all, you do it by bringing all this newness into a person's life. New truths about who Jesus is. Preaching and teaching 
and instructing them so that all of the, the, the hope and the purpose and the joy of Jesus Christ can be given to them. So we make disciples by taking the initiative and by bringing all this newness into their life. And, and then the last, in, the last participle here is teaching. Teaching them what? To observe all that I've commanded you. This participle is the clarion call to spiritual maturity. You don't just leave a baby infant out on the sidewalk to fend for themselves. You raise them up. You nurture them and you care for them and you teach them and you instruct them and you meet their needs and you raise them up until they become an adult and can care for themselves and, oh, by the way, recreate that in another person. So the discipleship process is not just done by winning converts, although that's important. It's not just by going and taking the initiative, although that's important. It's not just about bringing newness into someone's life, although that's important. It's teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. Brothers and sisters, discipleship's goal is unity of faith and knowledge of God growing to, according to Ephesians 4.13, mature manhood. Growing to maturity. I wonder if some of us here this morning have struggled with what does God want from me in my life? Maybe you've been like me and at a key time when I was a teenager, a person invested in my life. 16 years old, I was kind of a punk in my church, sorry, troublemaker. Um, I was there because I had friends in my church and, and uh, wasn't there really buying into anything yet. And a man in the church took me out to breakfast. He took the initiative. I didn't know who he was. I knew he was a deacon in our church. I knew he was, a, I knew he was kind of a, like an important guy in our church. I'd seen him like at meetings and things like that. And sometimes he prayed in front of the church. So I knew he was somebody quote unquote important. I, I, didn't, I didn't know who he was. He, just just a, a businessman in our church decided to take a 16-year-old guy out to breakfast one morning. And he sat me down and he asked questions like, what are you doing with your life? And he said, you've got so much potential. God has gifted you in many ways. What are you doing with those things? And it was interesting because that conversation ended up being around the Great Commission. I'm not saying that's the only reason I'm in ministry today, but can I tell you, 
But that was a key moment in my life where I defined my mission and purpose by God's commands more than my desires and wants. I just wonder if, have you just been going through your life based on your desires? Based on what you want? Have you viewed the Great Commission making disciples both here at Placerita Bible Church and around the nations as a volunteer opportunity that you can opt in and opt out of at any point? Or are you seeing it as a key part of why you were made? Have you been struggling in relationships? Have you been struggling in why God has made you the way that he's made you? Look into obeying the Great Commission and find purpose, even in infirmities. Why is it that some people go through cancer and they, they, they blossom spiritually and some people go through cancer and they're devastated? Could it be a simple step of obedience and viewing their life through the lens of the Great Commission versus the lens of an easy life or a pain-free life? I wonder if you've ever said, King Jesus, I give you the authority to send me wherever you want me to go. This morning I was praying for you. I got up early. I couldn't sleep in. I'm still on East Coast time. I was praying for you, and this question, this wasn't in my sermon notes. This is a question that just came to my mind. I wonder if you've ever said, King Jesus, I give you the authority to send me wherever you want me to go. I'm not saying he's going to send you to the nations. But if you've ever told him you have permission to do that, King Jesus, who's been given all authority in heaven and earth, I give you authority in my life. Wherever you send me, I will go. Show me the opportunities. And if the Lord begins knocking on the door of your heart, can I encourage you to have a conversation with your elders? A conversation that looks like this. Shepherds of mine, do you see gifts of ministry that I should be using to reach the nations for Christ? And begin a conversation with your spiritual leaders that perhaps could lead to a big life change but could also bring maximum joy as you step into that place of obedience. Father, thank you so much for men and women who invested in my life who helped me to take steps of obedience. And Lord, I just pray for us here this morning. I pray that we would, first and foremost, just understand the passage. Lord, would you give us through the power of your Holy Spirit eyes to see what you want to say to us this morning. I pray for those who many years ago 
told you wherever you lead, they would follow. Perhaps they went forward in an altar call. Perhaps uh, they declared to you in a, in a moment that they would follow you. Lord, I pray that you would give them eyes to see next steps. And Lord, I pray for those who have just never said, King Jesus, I give you the authority to send me wherever you want me to go. Lord, would you give us the courage to say that? Would you give us the courage to mean it? Would you give us the courage to move beyond being a volunteer for the Great Commission and to be obedient to the Great Commission? And as you teach us and instruct us, we'll let you have full control and authority in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.